If you want to be at the tip of the spear of sports performance, the answer is simple. Simply Faster is your insider's edge to maximize results with the highest quality premier sports equipment in the business. Visit Simply Faster and level up. Welcome, everyone, to the Companions of the Compendium podcast. Today, I have my brother in arms, you know, in arms, the gun shows. We were talking offline here before we got started. Uh, coach J.T. Ayers. Coach J.T. Ayers is uh, a coach from Orange County who's won Coach of the Year in Orange County in 2013, 16, and 2020. He's been coaching track and field for over a decade and a half. He's at his alma mater with his athletes and has broken over 33 grade levels at eight school records. He's been three-time all-county records as well. His team is being ranked number one in Orange County four different years in 2015, 16, 18, and 2020. In 2019, his boys team, 4 by one placed fourth at the California State Finals and ran the second fastest time in the 4 by one in Orange County history. His boys 4x4, which is going to be one of the things we're going to talk about, is how you balance the short sprinters and the long sprinters today, also placed fourth in California as well. And it was the seventh fastest time ever in Orange County history. And then finally, in the season of 2020, which we lost, his team was crowned the 2020 California Dual Meet Virtual Champions in a tournament hosted by Mile Split in California. And most importantly, for those of us listening, I think JT Ayers might be the coolest freaking guy in high school track and field. And, you know, when I grow up, I want to be as cool as him and uh, oh, be able to do all the wonderful things he's been doing with his program. So, JT, thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah, man. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's chat a little bit. Um, with When we come to this, I want to talk to about your kind of development. A lot of people know some of the things that you've been doing now. You've been a big-time contributor um, through the, you know, feed the cats kind of people and that circle of people, the track and field consortium, football consortium. But for those of us that don't know you or have not been introduced to you yet, talk a little bit about your development in the sport, your experience, and your mentors along the way. Yeah, let me start by saying I'm a high school coach. And I think that's important to start with because if you're listening to this, you probably have done clinics, you probably listen to podcasts, you probably read articles on wherever, including Simply Faster and things like that. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. However, we have to remind ourselves that we're high school coaches and we don't have to have PhDs in kinesiology or physiological aspects of the body and how to produce force and things like that. At the end of the day, we have 14 to 18 year olds, boys and girls, and they, I mean, I have athletes that have never done athletics in their life. You mentioned my four by one team that ran, we ran 41, 40, and they got fourth. And the year before that, we ran 41, 24 with three different kids. And three of those four kids on both separate teams had never done athletics in their life until high school. And I found one kid in PE, another kid came because he was friends with somebody on the team and they saw a cool video on our school announcements. He came out. We had one kid that spoke very, very broken Korean English and we probably made his English even worse, but he had the time of his life, <laughs> never did sports in his life. And that's the kind of kids we're getting. And so I think with that in mind, my development as a coach started on day one just basically 14 or 15 years ago doing what my coaches in high school did and then real quickly learning sadly my high school coaches didn't know what they were doing i mean they were good people but i mean gosh the stuff it made no sense 
I continued to grow and develop and I knew that the only way that I'm going to grow and develop is to put myself out there, be brave, develop relationships. And I started paying attention. I uh, actually was talking to my assistant coach yesterday. He asked, you know, how'd you, how'd you learn to develop these things? And we were just talking about, you know, very specific things about what we were doing. And I was like, I remember taking a coach from a different high school out to subway and asking him, how do you take role? with this many kids like that. I literally didn't know how to do that at a foundational level. And then fast forward to now, I have opportunities to do that with younger coaches and other people too. Like this is really, if there's ever a sport in, in the world, that's more of a community, it's track and field. I love going on Twitter and watching what LSU is doing, watching what Texas A&M is doing, watching what you're, you're doing, what your girls did yesterday. Like I'm a fan. I like going to track meets and being excited that, the rival high school had a kid that ran really, really good because we can celebrate together because it is a hard sport and it is fun. And there's a big difference between losing and getting beat. If my kid runs 48, 11 and gets beat by your kid that ran 47, nine, everybody wins because everyone had a PR and everyone gave it their very best high fives. And, uh, we go on throughout the day. So yeah, I don't know to sum up what you just said. I mean, I'm, I'm going long winded here. And hope nobody clicked off the podcast, but <laughs> I think you have to start somewhere. And the best thing you can do as a coach is you're never done learning and you need to pay attention to what's going on around you in the relationships and the community that you have and your community will grow. The relationships will develop. And now you can start learning from other people and what they do and what they don't do, what they've learned throughout the years. And I'm a direct benefactor of amazing people that have made tons of mistakes that I have learned from and have had tons of successes that I also can learn from because we have a relationship and I bought them a burger or a beer or coffee or something. And that's how you get where you're going to go. And I am, I was not as good as an athlete as I could have been. And all my athletes are better than I was. And I very rarely talk about my high school or college career because it doesn't matter. Yeah, a couple things to jump in. Number one, I have found it very interesting that most of the coaches who I really value, such as yourself and others, had a experience. And this is not to disparage anybody who was really athletic in high school and had a good quality situation. But I feel like most of these coaches who I speak with on a regular basis, that that seems to be that they're hungry due to the fact that they were pretty aware that the situation that they went through wasn't ideal, you know, and that they, there was more out there in sport. There had to be more, there had to be something better. And maybe our athletic experience was incomplete due to injury or incomplete due to a coaching relationship that wasn't great, you know, and let's be honest, like the coaching relationship between the athlete and coach always hinges on the coach, like the coach, that's the job. That is the job to make the kids trust you, respect you. They're not all going to love you, but right. we hope that we can bring more of those along the way. So when you talk about the people that you bought a burger for or had a coffee with, who were those people and what were some things and bits of information? Like you mentioned, just take and roll, which we'll talk about having a large team like you do. Like mm -hmm. management is almost more of the job than even maybe the X's and O's. So go ahead and talk to us about those mentors sure. and some of those informational pieces. My first year as a coach, I was sitting at the state finals in California and I was noticing, I was actually just sitting there and I was watching team after team after team. 
compete. And I was actually not interested in the kid that won. I mean, it was really fun to watch. I was interested in why is there so much representation from this one school in multiple events? So I, I put on my brave hat and I called a coach that from that school and I said, hi, um, I'm young, I'm 24 and I have no idea what I'm doing. Can I take you out for a burger, a beer, a coffee, I, you know, wherever. And then I found myself driving six hours. You know, I got up real early in the morning, drove six hours, met the guy or gal, whoever it was for coffee and hung out with them. And then I drove all the way home. And the whole time was talking to my wife saying, Hey, these are all the things I'm thinking about, write these down. And, um, I learned from people that were doing a good job and I started paying attention to other things like year after year, after year, after year. Um, I'm not interested in the kid, the boy that runs 46, five, like that's really, really cool. I'm interested in the team that has 10 guys under 50. Like that's, right. that's remarkable. That is a culture. And that's what I knew I needed to do. If I'm going to be a person that has influence with young adolescents, I'm going to partner with parents for four years and I'm going to help them as they develop these kids into being young men that are, have value and better dads, better husbands. I mean, I, I know that's cliche, which is weird to say, but I want athletes to be very, very good. I also want them to be very, very good people. And so the way you do this, you have a culture. So how do you develop that? You learn from others. So every single summer, um, and sometimes even the fall of my entire coaching career, I've taken out multiple coaches for meals and for, sometimes they say no. I've had coaches that say, no, no, those are my secrets. And sometimes they're blunt like that. Sometimes you can read between the lines. I'm not telling you what we do because um, how would I be successful? I have to compete against you. Well, typically those coaches, I would say almost 100% of the time, end up not kind of fading away and they had a good team one year and then the next year they're gone. I'm willing to learn from anybody and everybody because I'm not smart enough. And I'm not sure I'm saying that as a someone that's humble. I'm saying that as a, as a fact. I'm not smart enough, so I have to be gritty. I have to think about learning at every step of the way. So, and I've said this before, I had a coach my my second year as coaching and um he had not been successful and he was a head coach and i was a an assistant at the time my third year i became a, a head coach and i've been a head coach ever since he's like listen we're doing this this way because i've been doing this for 30 years this is the way we do it I'm like man you've been losing and then kids don't like you and this is terrible people don't like doing track for 30 years so literally as the cliche goes this was a real moment for me and i think about this constantly he's like what i wanted to say is you coached one year and you repeated it bad 29 times in a row. Right. So I'm not okay with that. And so as I'm just, as I'm telling you right now, I'm taking people out for meals and such. And, and ironically, COVID has been a really great opportunity to meet guys like you who are in the Midwest, Tony Holler in the, I guess in the Midwest people, even like uh, Latif and college coaches on the wet, on the East coast. Like I'm a Cal Southern California guy and I had to get outside of my comfort to learn from other people. So guys like Brian Kula, who's a, in Colorado and he's become one of my best friends. We talk every other day about workouts and this and that. I know his kids, he knows my kids and we'll never compete against each other. There's a state track coach here named Brian Weaver. He's the state meet director. Him and I see eye to eye on everything. And we call each other constantly. And he's up, he's about four and a half hours away from me. And there's Brian Fitzgerald. 
Brian Fitzgerald is a Hall of Fame coach in California. He's coached, I mean, he was coaching before I was born. He, uh, he's become a great, great friend. Um, and as I just said, these names, they're all named Brian. So I got my Brian's who's <laughs> maybe go find a Brian. That's what you need to do. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, Aeneas Williams, the hall of fame defensive back played for the St. Louis Rams and a long time, Arizona Cardinal. I had the pleasure of working with one of his kids for a long period of time. And then my buddy Burris still works with his youngest son, who is a stud and a half. And Aeneas has been very generous in his willingness to share and help where he can and, and do all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that Aeneas told me is when he came into the NFL, he took out every one of the hall of fame defensive backs that he could get a hold of and said, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? And these guys were retired. So it was a little easier to get them to probably say yes and want to talk about their career. But I mean, he wanted to pick their brain on the ins and outs of the position, not just on the field, but off the field. And what I've found, JT, is that the coaches who tend to have the biggest depth also tend to be the ones who are growth mindset because they're not so focused on the one kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was just saying, like, I don't have to see eye to eye with you in particular about training philosophies, even though a lot of the things that we do are probably very similar. I can learn from you about what worked and what didn't work. And also what's cool about track is every single coach is an expert in their individual communities and every single school, every single place is different. Tony Holler, it snows. I don't deal with snow. It's right. 65 degrees outside and I got palm trees <laughs> in the front of my house. It, however, I got my other issues, you know, you, in, in St. Louis, you have issues that I don't have to deal with. We can learn from one another. And I think the if you're not learning, then you're done growing. And if you're not willing to talk to people and be willing to share, um, people aren't going to want to do that with you. The best coach or the best coaching book I've ever read, and I read it and I listen to an audiobook, audiobook of it at least once a year, is How to Win Friends and Influence People. You have to listen to that book. It is the best thing to be as a coach. And I think a lot of coaches, especially in today's day and age, it, they cannot, and they say things like the kids these days, and I don't understand them, and they don't understand me, and we're not winning because of them and them and them. You are an expert in your demographic, in your school, in your culture. You, it's up to you, like you said earlier, it's the adult, it's the leader. It's the person that's willing to put forth the effort and learn how to coach the demographic, the culture, the team, the kid that you have. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're not going to, you're not going to prosper. Right. And, and the thing is, I think that people, again, one of the other commonalities of the people that I've interviewed on a regular basis for this is most of the coaches are not very comfortable with exactly where they're at and not in a negative way. They know some simple truths. They know some main key tenets about their philosophy and their idea but that drive to continue to get better is a common through line with every single coach I've discussed with so far. There's very few people like this is the only thing that I do. It's mostly, you know, well, I feel really good about these things, but I also feel like I need to improve on these things or I've never felt 100% comfortable in my own skin when it comes to training. It's not full fledged like imposter syndrome or anything like that, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you're a realist, Things are changing. Maybe the genetic material that we're working with on a regular basis is not. But if you're not willing to constantly flex and flow and somehow figure out your key tenets, how can I still apply those with the current state of things? I mean, social media 
is a very new thing in terms of a global perspective. But to these kids, it's been around now for almost their entire life. How do you handle that? How do you promote them in the right way? How do you lead through the right way? It can be exhausting to try to click off all of those things and and to be a part of that and to figure them out. And when people say, oh, kids these days, well, that's like they've given up. It's like, yeah, kids might be different. So let's figure out. That's the fun thing about coaching is the new challenges that end up providing the way. They're not the obstacle. They're the opportunity. So segueing into that, Coach, I want you to talk to me about kind of the 22 hours outside of practice. I know there's a cultural thing there, but there's also a health benefit in nutrition and some ideas that I've heard you speak on. And I really would like the audience to hear that. So talk to me about how you manage the 22 hours outside of practice and some interventions that you've done to make these athletes not only successful in sport, but successful as people. That's a great question. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) So first and foremost, I'm really glad you brought that up. Coaching to me is not for the hour, hour and a half, two hours I get uh, get them after school. Coaching to me is constant. It's a mission. And so my wife and I, when we decided that this was going to be, and we got married very young. Um, we were still in college. When we decided this was going to be our lifestyle. We decided that we were going to live very close to the high school. Uh, we were going to be within the community. Kids know where I live. And they come over. And we have them over for dinner. And um, they come over and they do leadership training uh, for the seniors at six in the morning We on Mondays. We um, do other things like, hey, here's a little lifestyle contract. Um, this is, sign this and I'll keep you accountable, but you don't have to sign it. And I have kids that don't sign it. I'm like, okay. And things on there like sleep and eating and staying hydrated and making good choices. Like, it's very simple. I, I really think and this, I hope I'm not in the minority here, and I hope also hope I'm not wrong. I believe that people want to be held accountable to good standards. And I think kids want discipline. They want routine. They want a place where they can feel safe. And the way they feel safe is because they go to a place and they know what to expect. They see me every single day and they know, one, I am not perfect. And I they, they see that constantly. I'm always very quick to forget, to ask for forgiveness, but they know that they're coming to a place that they're going to be cared for. They know that they're loved. They know that they're valued regardless of whatever mark or time they put on a stopwatch or a, uh, you know, a field event sheet. And I love to see kids improve. Kids are going to go to state. Some kids are not. Some kids are going to have, you know, be on a podium. Some kids are never going to do track. In fact, 99% of the kids that do track with me will never do track after high school and may be done with athletics altogether. But I love staying in contact with them and I can't hold on to all of them. But um, if the four years or three years or whatever it is they are doing track and field with me, if they look back and they think that's a positive moment in their life forever, and there's ways for me to figure that out. And that could be a wristband that says how many miles per hour they ran. That could be a picture that we had taken and they put it on Flickr and they can download it and make it their Christmas card for the family, whatever. Or they're especially the desktop wallpaper and phone wallpaper. Whatever I can do to give them an experience, that's what I'm in business for. That's what I want to do. So the 22 hours, I can't control what they eat and what they do and this and that, but I can give them... I can give them borders and parameters. I can say, this is what you could do and I can sell it. I can help them, help them see there's value in it. I love when kids come back and go, Hey, I'm in college 
when I'm outside of college and I had a coach one day teach me how to manage my energy and my time within a simple Excel spreadsheet and I'm still utilizing that today. These are tools, these are lessons, these are things. Track allows us to do that because we're coaching individuals, part of a team. Football, you can't do that because you have 11 kids that need to move in the same way, same place. I coached football. Uh, track, it's, it's exhausting because you have a lot of kids and in between reps, you have an opportunity to talk to them about their day, about their girlfriend, about their whatever. I had a kid last night text me at 11 at night. I was asleep, but I got it in the morning. He's like, hey, something happened to my girlfriend. I really need to be there for her. I won't make it a practice on Monday. I'll be there Tuesday. I'm so sorry, coach. That was an opportunity for me not to get mad at him, but an opportunity to me to communicate him love and care and say, anything you need, I'm here. Let me know. I'll see you Tuesday. Um, why don't you give me a call tomorrow? I want to know how you're doing. I mean, these are moments for people to care for other people. That's what we're doing. That's what we're in the business of. Yeah, and if they know that you care and you respond in that way, then they're going to be less afraid to be honest with you in a thing that they know that might not be really comfortable. They're willing to come to you with all manner of things, not even track and field related, but just life related. And I believe that if you provide that opportunity for them to come to you in that way, that they're going to buy in and do more for you when it's required and it's necessary, you know, because they know that you've prioritized them as a person. And because of that, they're going to prioritize you as one of their mentors and, and guides in life. I mean, I've had kids where they've quit and I've told them, I said, you can quit and you can leave us. I said, but you're going to find that there's going to be an emptiness in your day, you know, and I'm still here for you. I still love you. I still care about you, but just understand that if you want to come back, the door is open for you. And I bet you're going to want to come back. And sure enough, more often than not, those kids who have done that, and that these are good kids, good athletes, good people, you know, all this kind of stuff, they end up coming back. And it's not because of the sport always. It's more about the family that they developed and you being one of, you know, the matriarchs of that family in terms of, you know, what needs to happen and one of the leaders in the organization, you know, or patriarchs. And the thing that I find most, yeah, sorry, the most appealing <laughs> to that is, is the fact that that is what brings us the most joy. Those relationships mm -hmm. and times we spend in between reps talking to the kids about the day. I try to find something embarrassing that happened to me every day because it happens frequently and share it with the kids and, and joke around with them and, and all that kind of stuff so that they understand that like, hey, there's more to me than just telling you how many reps, recoveries and intensities that we're going to do in this practice. So with that being said, and now that you've had this knowledge, you've had this experience, you understand your mission and what you're trying to do. Talk to us about if you had to start over, which we don't want you to ever have to do, but for other coaches who are starting out and you got to go back in time and provide five pieces of advice of these are the things that I would initiate hmm. right away, taking over any program in pretty much any experience that these were game changers in my 15 years as a coach to this point that have really changed what we do and how we do things. Wow. Okay. So unfortunately, but maybe fortunately, uh, I've not always been at the school that I'm at. Uh, my first okay. three years as a coach, we did very, very well. Three years, no more jobs as teachers. I'm gone. I left. Went to another school in a different city, different part of the state. Was there for 10 months. We had a very, very successful season. I got another job. So came back to Southern California 
and got a job and I was there for three years. And, the, and then um, March of my third year, they told me they were not going to renew my contract. I still to this day don't know why. Uh, it just, it was a private school, so they, so they could do that. And we won a CIF title. I got coach of the year and then I was out. And I had to find a new place. Came back to my alma mater. So I have been, in fact, at that moment, I thought, okay, maybe this is my life. Maybe I'm going to build programs and then leave. Build another program, then leave. And I started getting pretty good at it, and I started coming up with a formula. So you said five things. Okay, so um, let me go through the five things, and I'll explain them. So I think cool. first and foremost, you need to have a mission. Start with the mission. You also need to have, number two, a system for communication. Let's see, number three... And I'm trying to say these probably in order. Oh, you know what? You need opportunities for buy-in. You need opportunities for, and I'll explain this more, but parents, athletes, school administration, your staff, you need buy-in. And that's a lot of different communities you have to bring together. I would think you need to, number four, you need to invest in the athletes. Uh, and number five, probably, a, probably your assistants, your staff, your, your coaches. And as a high school coach, they're going to come and go. It's very rarely you can hold on to someone for a long, long period of time. And they're like, this is my buddy. I'm going to be with him for the next 50 years. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So those are the five things. Uh, number one, mission. You need to have a mission statement. And it makes you look good too. But Tribuco, we are creating one of the most exciting and magnetic track and field programs in Southern California while building character and discipline into each athlete with leaders who coach with an exceptionally research approach to training and leadership. That's our mission statement. Is it the best mission statement that's ever ever been created? No, but it does show that we're in it for the athletes. We're in it about building character and teaching kids how to run fast is absolutely about accountability and character building and discipline and routine and all those things. So we are trying to build something that's magnetic that people are drawn to. I love it when people say track and field or Tribeco Hills is a track and field school. Mm -hmm. nobody says that everyone says this is a football school or this is a basketball school or this is a baseball school and you know what and it may not may not be true but the people that are that are with it that are part of my community that i get to be like you said the matriarch for just kidding um <laughs> that that is that is a compliment and i love that people feel that way because it's that important now systems for communication the email system you use i use mailchimp and I have people that subscribe and unsubscribe constantly and they're in power of that. But I am constantly putting forth communication in a way that reaches a whole huge wide range of audiences, parents, grandma, grandpa, um, the kids, the school administration, my assistant coaches. How do you do that? Well, you create a easy way to give information and you give your audience the opportunity to take it further. So put PDFs and pictures and videos and links to Google documents back to the website. So then a website, if you don't have a good website in 2021, shame on you. Like you need a place for your people to go. And it's the whole adage. Like, do you give them a fish or do you teach them how to fish and they can eat for a lifetime? Well, but my, my population, my community goes to the website they go to my social media accounts. They go to the past emails. They even go to the app that we developed that was really difficult to make a long time ago. And they go to the app in the, on their phone during a dual meet and they have all the information they need. And it's fun to just say, hey, just go to the website or go to the app. And now it's not on me. I've given the power to the people to 
communicate with one another, to find the information. I've taught them how to fish. So you need to communicate. In fact, gosh, if your athletes go to a track meet, a do meet, and they don't know what events they're doing, you're a bad coach. I'm saying right. it. You know, I'm just saying it right now. It's out there and I can't take it back. This is a podcast that's recorded forever. So right. your athletes should know and they actually have ownership in it. So Mondays, I always have, I print up an Excel spreadsheet and I show it to them and I say, did I miss your name? Or are there events that you're not in here? If you have questions about the event, let me know. And we're all on the same page and our community shows up at a Wednesday or Thursday dual meet, all knowing what they're supposed to be doing, all knowing what, what they're going to be. And they even know what lane they're going to be in. You know, it's, I put them on, you know, I put the entries on the computer. So opportunities to buy in number three, I think that's what I said. Opportunity, I wrote it down to make sure I didn't lose it. I need to give my population, my community, my team, my culture opportunities to buy into what we're doing. So this podcast, I'm gonna share it with everybody, not because I want me to be, I mean, I get paid the same if we win or lose and I'm at a public school, I'm not gonna get fired. So why do I care? Because I want the parents to buy in and care that their athletes are being, and their students and their, their sons and daughters are being cared for those moments in time. And I love when parents write me emails saying, can you please just tell my son or daughter this? Because um, they're not listening to me, but they'll listen to you. And we're saying the same thing. I said earlier that I am partnering with parents to help raise their sons. Um, that's what I'm doing. And I believe that. And that's part of my personal mission statement. So opportunities to buy in like pictures and videos. And um, I love when athletes are sharing things on Instagram. Okay, by the way, students use Instagram, parents use Facebook and I use neither. So I <laughs> make sure there's ways that I'm communicating to both. So, you know, my assistant coach manages Instagram and every time I put a MailChimp email thing out, I put it on both platforms. I use Twitter because I like communicating with other coaches. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things to think about. What's the best way to communicate? All the ways to communicate. Today's right. day and age, you have to use a website, you have to use email, you have to use Instagram, you have to use Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok, you don't have to use, but that's, you know, whatever. I got Come it. Come on, coach, you and I like to dance in front of cameras, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, people might be listening if you and I were like <laughs> doing something stupid on there and they might listen to us. Like, oh, I'm running uh, the 400 because coach danced about it. Invest in the athletes. Uh, authenticity in today's day and age is more than ever recognizable by your athletes. They can spot a fraud. I am, and I learned this from a great, terrible coach. And the reason why I call him a great, terrible coach because I literally saw what not to do. He right. was one way with the athletes. He was one way with the coaches. And he was one way different with, um, with his family and friends and stuff. And I saw these different masks he was wearing. No, be who you are. Be who you are. I, that's authenticity. There's integrity with that. And your kids, especially nowadays, they need a place and a person they can trust. And if they trust you and you never violate that trust, they'll do anything. And they'll listen to you and they'll believe in you. And then they'll start believing in themselves because you, they know you believe in them. It, it's, you know, it's a catch 22 in the best of ways. So invest in your athletes, like leadership training, um, outside of practices, give moments for barbecues, waffle Wednesday for your throwers because they love to eat. You know, I don't know. There's a thousand stupid things you can do and you should try all of them. Make uh, traditions. I just learned from Brian Weaver as a coach out here in California. 
Uh, he has a 350 that he makes the kids run. And for the boys, if they break 47.5 in the 350, he takes them out for lunch. I'm copying that next week, and we're calling it Wahoo's uh, Saturday, Wahoo's Workout. Because Wahoo's is a restaurant out here, and it's delicious, right. and it's awesome, and it's an opportunity for me to eat good food. So we're going to go out, and if you make that mark, we're going out. You know, I'm taking kids out. It's one stupid little thing that we do. And before COVID, we were actually having seniors doing a laser tag that I, I hired a company out. I fundraised for it, and I hired a company to come do laser tag, and we ate Costco pizza, which is like a Sam's Club to you. And, right. and we just did laser tag in the high school gym. Like those are stupid little moments that mean so much to kids and they're going to hold on to that, those things the rest of their lives because the things that you do on a daily basis matter. So I'm careful how I joke with the kids. I'm careful how I, how I mess with them and how they mess with me. And, um, I am not a disciplinarian, but I'm some, I'm definitely someone that holds people accountable and they know that and they know, and it's very, very clear my expectations. If it's not, that's my fault. So invest in the athletes. And then last one, I say, uh, your staff, your assistant coaches, these are probably a very, very high priority. So one, I would say, make it professional. I have a little gathering that I have the assistant coaches come and do, and we give out contracts. I printed a contract that my best friend's a lawyer. He made it look very lawyerly. Not that it matters, but it looks professional. My coaches are signing <laughs> they're signing a piece of paper that says they're going to get paid $1,800 for the year. You know, it comes out to be 13 cents an hour, but they're signing something because it's matters. It's meaningful. It's not the dollar amount. It's the professionalism that they're receiving and the care. And then I email them constantly, ask for their opinion constantly. We talk about the kids after do meets that come back to my house. I live very close to the school. Um, I mentioned that earlier. I even drive an electric scooter to work because I'm awesome. <laughs> and that's what I do. And actually I've just realized right now at 38 years old, I'm not cool. Like I just, <laughs> I just realized that you I might've outed yourself, but that's all right. That's kind of cool. That type of stuff is cool now. So, you know, it used to not be cool. Now it's real cool. I guess you are cool when you stop caring about being cool. Right. Yeah, I don't exactly. care about being cool. I am who I am. Like I'm going to wear sweatpants um, and I'm going to drive an electric scooter to work and I'm going to listen to a podcast. <laughs> like, are you old? Yep. That's what I, that's who I am. It's official. So a couple of things that really hit me strong with what you said, and I agree with, and I haven't really thought about it. The one in this way is this idea of no masks. Like I've always found, and I haven't really been able to put it in such a simple term like that, but no masks. You are who you are for all your strengths and weaknesses. And if you're genuine, people and kids will be more forgiving to a person who is genuine. And that's what I really like about you, JT. And we're going to talk about that. It's going to be one of our, you know, last portions that we have in our discussion, but there's a genuineness to this love and care that maybe somebody else says that. And it's like, yeah, but that just doesn't feel right. Like I tell kids, Hypocrite. I love them. Yeah. You know, I tell yeah, kids, I love sure. them all the time. And they're like, at the, at the beginning, they're like, I'm not sure. And I said, <laughs> but my job is over time is to make you fully believe that. You know, even when I have a kid that like, maybe I didn't do a good job with, you know, and then their sibling comes through, I, I'm like, well, now it's my job to make even dive even deeper and figure the situation out even better and learn from what that particular kid and I didn't vibe with and figure out if I can figure out a way to 
to do something better the next time. I des- the family that I that has entrusted me with multiple of their children, it's my job to do that. And so over time, my hope is most of the kids go, oh, at the end, it's like, yeah, Banta really did love us. He really did care. He had this back. He's He showed us our, his love through all of these actions. Some things are very intentional and then some things are more, you know, more subtle. Like when you're you know, going and picking a kid up or you're buying them a pair of spikes or you're providing them a breakfast in the morning before a competition or you honor them as a captain of the week or all those things that you mentioned, like the Waffle Wednesday. I love that. You know, those are powerful and they remember those things a lot more frequently than the reps and sets and workouts that we do. The the reps and sets are Hmm. part of the process, but the cultural wrapping paper and the bow on top is the thing that they're going to remember more. And then the other thing you mentioned was borders. And I have to agree with you on that. And I think that that's just a good thing in life is that you have these guardrails or expectations in a relationship. The people I like to be around are the people who tend to be the most consistent. So, you know, if a person's up and down and I don't know who they're gonna be from day to day, that makes me uncomfortable, makes me nervous because I don't know, well, which version of this person am I am I coming around? You know, where if a person's a, a grump on a regular basis and they're kind of curmudgeon-y, I, I'm okay with that because it's like, I, I get it. I, I understand who you are, you know, and, and I'm an emotional person. You know, I will cry in front of my kids. I will share things about my family and my life experiences and the goods and the bads because I want them to know who I am. I want them to know I'm not a robot plugged into a wall, right? That, you know, I unplug myself and I just do my my daily routine and I go home and there's not a life outside of it. And I think if the kids understand those borders, that gives them strength because they have consistency. And they're like, all right, I know what I'm getting into today. Today is going to be tough and coach might not be happy, but at least I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to be. And if I can get through this, then on the other side, it's going to, we're going to have this many days where it's going to be great. You know, or, hey, I've got an opportunity to show that the team really matters to me, that coach is not going to give up on me permanently, that he's always there because he's consistent or she's consistent. And I know that he or she loves and cares about me and that maybe I'm not always going to meet their expectations, but I know what their expectations Hmm. are. So authenticity is a is a big deal. So if the if the number one thing for any of the athletes that we coach is that they garnish and have an opportunity to trust the the coach then trust i mean we can make inferences and probably we're unqualified to ever make these accusations about the culture and world (laughs) that we live in but maybe they're lied to with all the time i mean they can't trust google they can't trust their cell phones they can't trust social media they can't trust the edits and the deletion and the changes and this and that but they can't trust you so if that's the case that's matters the most for any athlete's motivation i want I care deeply that my athletes see me as a dad. I have four kids. They come to all the track meets and they're at most practices. Um, I'm not coach. My kids are fine, but my kids know the athletes' names. The athletes know their names and there's joy and they watch me be a dad. And then they see me. They see me be a husband. Like that's my number one priority in life is to be a great husband. Um, If that's true, they need to see that. So I, I teach by example. And um, not only that, but that I need to have room and moments for that. You notice the five things I just said about creating a culture and a good team and a good program has nothing to do with actually writing good workouts. Right. I 
think back to when you first started coaching. My first year of coaching, like I look back at my first, second, third year of coaching. I'm like, what was I doing? And kids were still <laughs> successful. That right. is humbling. And we were good. And we're we're good now. But why were we good then? Well, it has to do with these other these five things. You don't have to know as much as these these amazing Olympic caliber athletes, coaches, college coaches, because you take that guy that is a scientist and you put him in front of my kids and he knows every single thing about foot strike and force application and posture and running mechanics and percentages and wicket spacing and all that stuff. My kids will still run faster than me. Why? Because they know that they, I love them. I get them hyped. I get them pumped and I'll get more out of that 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old than you will because you know more. It's not about just knowledge. It's about the idea of, of presenting that whatever you do know in a way that's worthwhile. So you can grow in your knowledge of the sport, but you could still be a good coach without knowing much. Yeah, I agree. And that's when I'm, you know, you mentioned uh, assistant coaches. So when I'm hunting assistant coaches, you know, it would be nice if they knew something about track and field, but I want them to know more about people. You know, I want sure. them to, to be able to build relationships. They're good educators. They're just good people and good teachers. If they have those two primary skills, we can teach them the sport of track and field. Now, one question I want to ask you that I didn't put on our pre previous notes here, but, you know, I know God and faith is a big part of your experience. Does that, how does that guide you? How do you feel that that you can shine your mission through that, whether or not the kids are, you know, cause we teach at public schools. Sometimes uh -huh. that's not the easiest thing to do, but how does that guide your process? Uh, yeah, I wear a lot of hats. I mean, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm a bivocational pastor at the church and, um, that I go to, how do I manage those things? It goes back to, I am who I am. The kids know who I am. They know what I'm about. Um, not every single athlete at a public school is going to say that they have a long lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. Like no. And I don't expect that. However, they know that what I do for a living with them is a calling. This is not just a job. My gosh, you and I both know that if we wanted to make some real money, we would not be doing this. Right. You know, like I, this is a calling on my life and I don't look at the dollars that I make or the time that I spend. Like, this is something that I do because it's what I've been called to do. And I believe it's, a. I, I said earlier, I have a mission. Uh, my mission is to influence kids in a positive way. Um, they see my life and they can, they can make their own questions, inferences. They can make their own calculations about the way that I live and how I live, even being imperfect. And they have a lot of questions. I am happy to direct them in any way they want, but I'm partnering with parents. So... Um, I love when kids are asking big questions because I'm not even telling them I have the answers, but I can help listen and guide and direct. So at a public school, I am who I am. Um, I have tattoos. I lift weights and um, I look different and I act different. I do not swear. I do not yell. The, this is who I am. My, my assistant coaches are not allowed to swear. The athletes are not allowed to swear is very hard. <laughs> I probably hear the F word like a billion times. I'm just walking into the bathroom <laughs> on snack break. I'm trying to hold my athletes to a higher standard that is about character and discipline. And that's part of our mission statement. And um, my job isn't to go out 
and just make kids faster. My job isn't just to go out and give them a good time. I'm not a camp counselor. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're going to see me as dad, husband, pastor, son. I just hired my dad as an assistant coach. So they get to see me be a son, which is actually the most challenging thing I've ever done because I just want to yell at my dad because he's doing it wrong. But um, I, oh, I, I apologize, Papa Ayers, yeah. if you're listening to this. <laughs> Regardless, I, I think I appreciate your question. Um, my athletes know how I live and they know where I live and they know where to go. And I've had athletes call me in the middle of the night and say, um, I'm having a really rough time. I need help. And I've had kids say, I'm, I've actually had kids, one in particular, uh, coach Ayers, I'm standing at a bridge. I'm about to jump. What do I do? I'm like, don't move. I'm on my way, you know, and I'm calling the police and I'm calling the parents and I meet, I meet them there first. Cause I got it first. And that is a heavy, heavy burden that coaches have to bear and they have to be, if it's not a calling on their life, if they're doing this because they believe that an 18 year old or, you know, a 14 year old is going to give meaning to their life because of a, a, a race that they run, your life is going to feel empty and unfulfilled because it doesn't fulfill. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. And I probably went a little preachy there, but I think at the end of the day, we're in kids lives and we have to hold that that burden with weight and authenticity. And I, I, as I'm speaking into my microphone, talking to you, there's no surprises by anybody in my community that would listen to this or even other coaches that I hang out with. Like I am who I am. And if people want to run for me, great. If they don't, that's fine. Like the people that show up day to day, those are the people that are in my care and I have to, everything I do, including the workout that I write has to be with that in mind. Yeah. And, you know, as a person of faith myself, I'm not a pastor. Um, I'm a Catholic with a small C and I'm not going to get into that on the podcast, <laughs> but, um, you know, God is, God is an important thing in, in my life and purpose driven life is probably one of the most powerful books that I've ever read. And the first line in the book is it's not about, it's not you. about you, right, man. And it's like the, so you're on mission, right? You're on mission. And the mission is, is to save lives, grow people, right? And make them stronger down the road, prepare them for the challenges that they're going to face. And whether that's going to be through religion, family, sport, career, whatever it may be. And that's, I just had to ask you that question, because I know it's a big part of your experience and existence. And I, I, I can't, you know, obviously make all my, I, I teach at the most diverse school in St. Louis. So we have every religion and mm -hmm. non-religious people and all politics. You know, it's a very interesting place to, to be a teacher and a, and a coach. But one of the biggest things is it's like, this is what I'm here for. And like you mentioned earlier, we're never going to get rich monetarily per se through this. You know, there's obviously opportunities, uh, you know, that you can, scale yourself out and scale yourself up if your mission and purpose is good to help others. But we will be rich in our relationships, in our fellowships. And at the end of the day, I always tell people, I'm like, I want kids to buy me a beer if they see me at the bar when they're old enough. <laughs> and I want them to, to drink whiskey over my grave instead of spit on it. And at the end of the day, if I accomplish more of those in the good end than the bad end, I've, I've done my purpose. I've been the person I was put here on earth to be, even though, like you said, 
very imperfect. I don't cuss around my kids at all. I don't want my assistant coaches either to cuss around my kids. And the reason why is they probably know that, hey, we probably swear, I swear, you know, outside of the, the, the track and field venue. But I want them to know that there is power in restraint as well in control and that trying to live by some ideals, even if imperfect, is better than having none. You know, yeah, and so it's powerful. <laughs> I was just thinking, I had a coach that I coached with younger and he was just like, oh, I definitely do not live anywhere near this high school because I don't want my car to get keyed. <laughs> Wait a minute. Like, what are you doing to give kids an opportunity to key your car? You know, like I, my favorite thing to do, and I live in a, I live in the city of Mission Viejo, right by the school. I live in a big area like you. Um, I am not a city dude. I, I'm also not a country folk. I'm a small town, maybe because the college I went to is small and it was like a college town. My wife and I, our favorite thing to do is we go for a hike and I run into somebody I know, a parent, an right. old athlete, an athlete currently. I go to Golden Spoon and get frozen yogurt. I recognize somebody, they recognize me. I love seeing people that I know and that know me and we're all still, we're part of this small town community right. in this in this bigger kind of Orange County, 3.8 million people, you know, like, this is cool. I really like, I want to be that, that coach. That's just the local coach. Right. I want to go to the barber and they're like, yes, yeah, the coach, you know, I want to go to, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's nostalgia that I'm, I'm reaching for, but I love being part of the community. And, um, I like that I give my athletes stickers and they put them on their car and I drive around and I see them, you know, like those are, those are fun. There's a unifying factor to what you do. And, it brings meaning, you know, and there's purpose behind it. Yeah. Well, grow your roots where, where you're at, you know, like put in the time and invest in the community. I as well. Um, not that I'm trying to co-sign on everything you're saying, but it's all good stuff. I as well made that choice to um, move back into my community, the community I went to high school in as well. Uh, my kids are going to the elementary school I went to. I live in, oh, really? yeah, you know, and living within the community that I grew up in from kindergarten all the way through high school. And it wasn't, my experience was by no means perfect, but part of that's the driver, right? It's like, there are a lot of good things about this experience that I had. And so I want my kids to experience those good things, but I also want to provide opportunities for those kids that maybe didn't get the things that I thought they deserved to get, or maybe my experience that wasn't so great. I want to try to clean that up as much as I can, you know, like defragging a computer. You know, I want it to be, I run as optimally as I can socially, um, spiritually for these kids and obviously through sport, but more importantly, just through growth as people. All well, right. Every place that I've been, I told you earlier, and I've been at more than one school, we've been good. There's yeah. athletes at every single school. I'll tell you this right now. I've never had a transfer in my entire life. I, I took a coach out a few summers ago, and I was like, how'd you win the state title? How'd you do it? He goes, all right, this is what you want to do. First, get a transfer that runs 45 flat in the 400. Go, oh, oh, is that all? I've never had I've never had a transfer. I've never had a kid that went to Tribuco Hills High School because they wanted to run track for me. It's the wrong sport. The kids that want to play football transfer to the arch rival public school the kids that want to play basketball baseball football and at other schools they go to the private catholic schools that are always number one in the nation and this and that and it's big time business and it's cool those aren't my kids but we beat them we beat them every year why because we have a diverse population and it is also really cool to do track at my high school 
and I take a lot of pride in that, and I'm not 100% responsible for that, but I do take a lot of pride being able to be the face of a program where people wanna be a part of it. And that has to do with the videos I put on the announcements, the cool gear that I have, um, the success that we've had. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach that people know that if you go, you're gonna be cared for and have a great time. That if you work hard, you're gonna see the value and kids <clears throat> do get faster. Uh, and the reason I know that is because I, I record and I, I put it out in the public and I put them on my classroom window and people see that they're improving. And when people see improvement, they go, hey, I can improve too? Like, yes, yes you can. Um, I don't know what your ceiling is, but let's find out together, you know? And sometimes kids right. have very, very high ceilings. Sometimes kids don't, you know? And at the end of the day, everybody <laughs> got better. And so it's good. I, I you know, if, if you can create a culture where it's fun to do track, it's good to do track, it's worthwhile to do track, then you're gonna get every kid in the world to wanna be part of your program. And not every kid can. We have qualifying standards that it, that you need to make to make the team. And every single kid has to try out every single year. It doesn't matter if you're a four-year returner or whatever, you have to try out. And it's hard to make the team. And we have 150 kids every single year on just a boys team. And that might sound like a large number, but if I didn't have, if I didn't have qualifying standards, um, we'd be at 300. And my school is at 2,800. So that's a, that's a pretty nice percentage. So, yeah. um, and also, by the way, we have kids that just do everything in their, in their wheelhouse to make the team and they can't. They try mm -hmm. out 20 times, they can't. Well, I'll tell you what, those are kids I take aside and I say, listen, I need you to be my right hand man. I need you to help me, I need you to keep training, but I need you to have some extra level of responsibility and be a team manager. And that's worthwhile and it's meaningful and you're gonna help me run this program what do you say? And those kids are in tears. They're so excited. They're so happy. And not only that, but I also give them varsity letters because they work and serve and train on top of that. And you know what happens? More often than not, not all, all the time, more often than not, those kids make the team, which is harder, their sophomore year because they keep training. You and I both know as track coaches, if you train and you train smart, those kids will get better and faster. Uh, it happens all the time. I mean, Tony Holler says it all the time. Just train kids fast and they'll get faster. It's pretty simple, you know? And uh, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of youth stuff because I have four kids of my own. My oldest is 11 and my youngest is eight. And um, those kids, they get faster, you know? And they get faster because two to three times a week we run and we do plyos and we do mechanic drills and they jump and they run and they have fun and they get faster. So, you know, everybody can get faster. Absolutely. And it, and it's one of those things that I was going to ask you when we mentioned this, and I guess we can kind of get into this again, because we've been really about culture and management to this point. How do you balance the training between all the different groups that you're responsible for, most specifically like hurdles and sprinters, when you have 150 kids who have had to try out, which means mm -hmm. they've got some baseline athletic talent. And we know that men, young men, get better and better and better as they move through as well, traditionally, you know, mm -hmm. so there's always these new opportunities that present themselves as the kids acquire the skills, they learn the sport, they get better at the sport. So talk to me about how we kind of manage that. And then I'll have one more question to kind of close up this conversation. Okay, so how do you manage so many numbers? I am the head coach, but I also do all sprints and hurdles. Right. My I typically have one more assistant coach that helps me with sprints. Um, so I can like be in different places is we, I still try to individualize as much as possible within reason. 
uh, right now it's my dad as an assistant coach, which has been really fun. And um, he's set to retire, so maybe I'll have him until he dies in the next 30 years. <laughs> All right. Fair or enough. Maybe this will kill him. I don't know. So <laughs> the uh, um, how do you manage? Well, first and foremost, if you are a 400 meter on down, includes hurdles, and you're also a jumper, including high jump, and you're also a pole vaulter. So we're talking about everything except, and, and this even could go with the 800, but anybody, everyone except the three distance events, and this is in California. We don't have the four by two or uh, throwing spears, which is weird. Right. You guys do that. Right. Um, I don't know why you would give a child a, a weapon and then go, hey, throw this. But that's fine. Whatever. You guys can hey, kill prepare it for the apocalypse. You know, they become Gosh, a human weapon. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and shot and disc, I, they're sprinters. They have to know how to apply force in the ground in a meaningful way. They have to know how to generate speed. They have to accelerate. They know how to you know, be powerful. They know how to explode. They know how to run with endurance with their speed. So long periods of time. They have to learn how to sprint. Every kid's a sprinter that I just mentioned. And then after that, then they can go work on technical aspects. So that's me as a head coach having a very, very detailed plan per week emailed out to my coaches that says, hey, they're gonna sprint on this day, they're gonna do this, you get them for the next hour, this is what we're doing the rest of the week, manage it accordingly. Um, and your throwers probably should be doing accelerations too. Mm -hmm. So um, my throwers will do accelerations, they'll do hurdle hops and they'll be you know, very explosive. Like it's really important that those things happen. If you have a pole vaulter that pole vaults five days a week and that's it, and you don't work on speed, you don't work on, I mean, they're just putting a stick in, a, in the hole and trying to go up, they're not going to be very good. Mono Duplass in high school ran a 10.5 in the 100. A 10.5? Yeah. yeah. That kid's the number one sprinter in almost every single state, and he was right. a pole vaulter, and now he's like one of the, he's probably one of the best pole vaulters of all time at such a young right. age. So you need to teach your kids to sprint. So it kind of follows up the next question you had is hurdles and sprinters. My hurdlers are sprinters first, and I have a very small group of hurdlers. This is my philosophy, mostly okay. because of how I have to manage it. If you're a hurdler, you're elite. Mm -hmm. you, I walk up to people and I say, hey, listen, kid, you're a talented runner. You're getting better. I love your effort. And it goes in that growth mindset. Praise the effort, not the result. I love your effort. You're doing great. You could be like top 10 in the county in the 400. Right. Top 10 in the state in the 300 meter hurdles. Mm -hmm. And you can still do both. And the kids are like, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's an easy choice. Right. I don't have to <laughs> sell them really much. You have to sprint for me before you can hurdle for me. So I don't have a mm -hmm. lot of freshman hurdlers because they're okay. not all the time, but mostly because I have to teach them how to sprint. And then they come in and then in the off season and then preseason, I teach them how to hurdle. We have seven hurdlers total in the whole program freshman sophomore junior senior so fresh fresh off in, in varsity and um last year in 2020 uh we started the year off with two guys in the 38s and three guys that were going to break 40 and they never just got the chance because they didn't run so that's five guys under 40 and two of those guys uh probably were going to be under 38 and how right. does that happen? Because they were good sprinters. They're on my four by four. They're on my four by one. Now this is where philosophies get a little different because in my state, we don't have the four by two. So you can't have a kid that only does very, very short amount of distance. They're not going to run the four by two, the four by one, the hundred and 200, or maybe even just like, no, no. My four by one team that ran 41, 24, three of those kids are on the four by four. They're in three, 15, six, right. three of them. And it could have been all four, but we just had a, you know, pretty good starter. Mm -hmm. that ran the that started my kids need to know how to do the four 
the one, the two, and then if they're hurdlers, they need hurdlers. Like our best athlete right now is a 300-meter hurdler. He'll be the second leg in the 4 by one He'll be the anchor in the 4 by 4 and he runs the 400. That's a lot mm -hmm. of different things he does in a given dual meet. Well, he needs to know how to sprint. Fast kids win races. Right. And fast sprinters win hurdle races. I can teach mm -hmm. kids how to be tacticians over the barrier, over the hurdle, but you have to be fast. Um, you know, it's not stride length that makes you a three-step. You know, it's, it's going to be speed. So right. we have to teach speed. And I also probably think it's probably controversial, but I think it's child abuse to put a kid in an, a 300 meter hurdle event when every time they go over one of those eight barriers, they look like they're going to die. Like they barely get over it. It's like they, they look, the kids should be running the 400 or the 100 or the 200. They should be learning how to sprint before they become a hurdler. So, um, some of the, so that helps with numbers because I have a lot of 400 runners, <clears throat> a lot. And not every single kid runs the 100. It's harder to run the 100 for me, but 400. Love it. I love it because if you're going to teach discipline and character and routine and all that good stuff, make a kid run a 400. Oh, love it. And by the yeah. way, every single do meet I have, if I can control it, we'll have six or seven four by fours. Every kid runs the four by four. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They're excited about it. I mm -hmm. never, ever had to be a coach that walked around going, Hey, I need someone in the four by four. And everyone's like hiding and, you know, shunning themselves and whatever. And, and no, 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 not in my program. Uh, I'm my biggest burden is trying to figure out who goes at what leg so we can make these things really competitive. Mm -hmm. And it's fun when it's like Tribuco Hills versus Mission Vio High School in the four by four and Mission has one team and we have seven. Right. And, you know, the, <laughs> and they're and they're cool with it too. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's definitely gonna have to be something between both coaches. But sometimes my C team will beat their A team. Oh, that's that's good. That's good. Right. But not always, but those kids are all getting splits. They're all running hard. They're all part of a team, and it's the best way to end a, a, a good a good workout because the dual meet is the best workout you're going to have all week. True. And that's where I think the the Feed the Cats philosophy in general, and I, I don't, we don't have time to go down that road today, but, you know, I love the idea that you can use the, you know, like when we look at speed endurance, special endurance, speed reserve is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. Um you know, the meets can provide that opportunity because you're never going to get out of them in practice what you can in a meet, but then you have to be intentional, like you said, where, hey, pretty much everybody in this program or a lot of people are going to be running on this four by four and it just becomes an expectation like everybody does it. And if somebody bails out for some reason, we're sliding people up. So I do the exact same thing with that because I want the kids to understand like, not only is this a rite of passage in our program and all that kind of stuff, but it does provide you an opportunity to be competitive against other folks. Like you said, it's hard to be in your hundred meter group. And that's because there's a very necessary talent that's probably required as well. And Hey, other schools, they're going to throw all their sprinters in the short stuff. So maybe, you know, you have a better opportunity, like you mentioned, where you're looking at the mile split or the athletic.net list. And you're like, look, you can move over here and we can be great. And then the fact that all the kids have to do it. And then if you figure out, like, again, I do that too. I'm like figuring out, okay, what lane do I want these kids in? Yeah. Right. I want. And then the challenge becomes making sure you get all those splits that also oh, hold gosh, those kids yes. accountable. Right. So, and that's no. how you get to a three fifteen. I mean, that's smoking fast, man. You know, oh, that's smoking fast. oh yeah. And, and that's that you're like, oh, we left so much time on the on the on the track. And that's always right. gonna happen. Um, I have a team this year that could run three thirteen. You know, I think yeah. they have the capability to do it. 
Will they do it? It takes four people. Like the right. four by four is difficult because there's four people that have to do four things in the right day at the right time. Good. Well, yeah. how often have you had a four by four where three of them did good and one of them you're like, what the heck were you doing? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, sorry. So, Trust me, uh, I know that, man. I understand that challenge. And cross country too. It's, uh, you know, getting seven uh, women, young women to run really well over a long period of a time in a very uncomfortable sport is really tough. And that's part of that magic is, okay, at least let's get maybe three and a half legs to run really well, right? you know, and, and we can absorb the mistake that happens. And it's not the same person. It's always something different. It's crazy. Yeah, coach them up, put them in an opportunity to succeed. And if they rise to the occasion, great. If they don't, learn from it and then wait for and get them in another opportunity. Our practices are competitive. So I don't have a cool name. I don't have speed the cats or critical mass. You guys are super cool. I don't have, I don't have a name for what I do, but I've been heavily influenced by the things that make sense to me. And if you disagree with me, great, like do with what you do, but it has to make sense to you. I, you know, we up sweet pass in the four by one because it makes sense to me and right. I can teach it. We, I'm probably more of a short to long approach, but I also run more than Tony does with four by with the feed the cats, but I probably run less than you with critical mass. Right. Uh, why? Because it works for us. And is there better ways I can learn from you? I can learn from Tony. I can learn from, uh, these college coaches at LSU and Texas A&M and Florida and all that stuff. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of everything and my system, I'm not married to it. I'm married to getting kids faster. So my kids run, how about this? My approach is quality over quantity. Always. Mm -hmm. I don't see any benefit in running a kid, uh, in any kind of rep. If he's garbage, if he's trash, right. if he's not giving effort, if he's, if he's unable to give effort and cause I'm not giving the right amount of recovery time or this and that, but I would say, uh, gosh, you know, probably three degrees down, you know, Tony Wells kind of stuff. Like right. I like short to long. My off season is very short, uh, very powerful. Uh, and then even the, the system of lifting that I do with mass specific force, we should probably talk about next time is, um, it's all within the short to long, but we run, I mean, if we're going to run, we're going to run some lactic stack workout um, on Tuesday. And it's going to be, it's going to be baller. It's going to be pretty hard. Right. And my kids know it and they're excited about it. And they're like, Oh, let's go. You know, and it's right. quality over quantity. We do not do anything. And I'll take kids and go, Hey, listen, you're done for the day. You gave me everything you could. And it's just not good anymore. It makes no sense to keep running you into the ground. You're done. So the, the philosophies and principles of feed the cats make complete sense to me. Um, you know, but I'm not in a hallway and I'm not rolling out a rubber um, runway and having kids run with free lap down the middle of the hallway. Like, I don't have right. to do that. In fact, my school's not even indoor school. It's outside. I'm in a portable. If it rains, I get wet, you know? So right. um, I'm on the track pretty much all year round. Uh, in the off season, I'm on grass a lot more because I like mm -hmm. going to the park and running barefoot. Um, and it's slightly downhill. So the 40 times are a little faster. Fun. <laughs> Yeah. Or the flying tens or thirties mm -hmm. or, you know, flying hundreds or whatever I decide to do. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not afraid of tempos. If they make sense, I'm not afraid of lactic stack workouts. If they make sense, my system is run hard, run smart quality in the rep and quality in the rest. 
And everything we do has to make sense within those philosophies and principles because the best thing that I've ever heard, and it's from Tony Holler, and you would totally agree with this. I've heard you say similar things is sure. you want your athletes to show up, um, you know, happy, healthy, fast. Um, right. You even add hungry in there. Like my kids are ready to race on race day. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean we did not work hard, but um, I can guarantee you my kids are running really, really hard and they're doing, they're giving maximum effort. So they're prepared for that day. Awesome, man. And all the listeners that he just gave you a template. So hopefully you can go back and re-listen to that last 10 minutes about 25 times and get an understanding of why this guy is the freaking man and a guy I look up to as kind of my own spirit animal, somebody I wish I could be as cool as and as accomplished as and and stretches me in, in terms of ways and ideas of things that I need to be doing to be the best version I can for the kids on mission without a mask on. So in closing, and then uh, I do want you to share some of your contact information as well. But this is the last question I got for you today. And obviously, we covered a lot of ground and we got a bunch of questions left out there. So listeners, I'm going to force this man to come back and, and chat with me for another hour and a half or maybe two hours the next time because he's got so much value. But you do have a lot of value. And I got to ask you this question. And I know this is kind of one of those embarrassing ones that makes people uncomfortable. But why do you think so many athletes and coaches and me included, I'm on this list, young and old, gravitate to you so much in this last year and a half or so in your message. Why do you think that that is, you know, what do you think is about you that people get that really makes you a exciting and interesting person to connect with, listen to and level with? Oh, do they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it. Okay. So the first thought that I have is why do those football players that, you know, never done track or never done track or, you know, why are they excited about track their senior year? And, you know, I missed them the last three. Mm -hmm. um, I, why do kids, why do they, why do we have a very high retention weight rate from freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year? Um, I would say first and foremost, they see the passion um, in me. My, you know, uh, the dirty jobs go guy, Mark, what's his name? Uh, micro. Yeah. Micro. Yeah. 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 Um, he has this whole thing where he's like, you bring your passion with you. You don't find it in the job, you know? So I like to think that if I was a plumber, I'd be the same way. I'd just be excited about plumbing, you know, and probably make a lot of money. So I bring my passion with me, with me in everything I do. And they see the excitement. They see me. Um, I'm at the finish line with stopwatches, jumping up and down, freaking out. Our whole team right. has handshakes. We all give a two-spat salute. Like, and then half those kids have you know secret handshakes with me too. I am excited about track. They right. see this. I'm excited about them as people. They see this. Going back to authenticity, like they see this. So why are kids? Why is Tribuco magnetic? Why am you know like you said me? It's hard to even think about that. Why? Because there is passion in my voice. There's excitement in my, I'm excited about 400s. I'm excited mm -hmm. about 300 meter hurdles. I'm excited about a kid that just went, you know, PR'd in the two mile. I'm excited. I love high fives. I love like chest bumps. I'm, I'm, you know, I like watching coaches like Dabo Sweeney on the sidelines, you know, jump up and down when a kid scores a touchdown. Like I am excited about kids and yeah. I'm excited about their endeavors. I'm excited, you know, and, and hopefully, that shows. And so you mentioned earlier the idea of mass, which is super funny. This is not going to age well in COVID life. <laughs> I think it's, I, 
you have to be able to see and trust that authenticity and my passion is not um, fake or trumped up. You have to earn the passion. You have to see me goof off and you have to, you have to see that the things that happen um, are earned and they're not fake and not trumped up and there's no hip hypocrisy in the way that I coach and the who that I am. So I am definitely going to be the coach in the stands freaking out. Like there, <laughs> when we ran 41, 24, um, I lost my mind and <laughs> I was, uh, I was on the, on the, I was kind of hanging out by the, and you probably do this too, but I was hanging out cause my anchor really needed, you know, he needed me. You know? So I was like, yeah. right, I'm here. I'm a presence. I'm in the stand. Right. You can see me. We could talk I'm like, you're okay, man. Do a, do another get off. You're great. You know? And, right. um, he needed me there. So I was able to see the the time as soon as he crossed, I couldn't see what place we got. Um, that was the fastest time in orange County history when he ran 41, 24. And, um, I lost my mind. Like I was right. jumping up and down. I was screaming and yelling. I was losing it and it was free and I was free to do that. And people can walk over and judge me and they say, listen, you need to be strong, silent type. You need to be John Wayne, blah, blah, blah. You know, like there's no way that. And then when they walked over, we're jumping up and down, hugging, dogpiling. Right. Like I'm going to be 85 years old and I'm going to be in lane five dogpiling these kids when the kid runs you know, 51 flat and PRs and catches the anchor or whatever. Like this is these, the, the, what we do for a living is moments and I'm going to love and live in the moment. So when something like that happens, all the dark or all the workouts we did in the dark, nobody was watching all the grind that we did together. When it accumulates into a moment that's powerful like that, I'm going to remember it the rest of my life and they're going to remember it the rest of their life. And we're all going to share this together. So I maybe you heard my maybe you heard my excitement in in, in my voice right there, and yeah. you couldn't see the video. I'm like flailing all around right now, <laughs> talking into a microphone. Coach, I'm ready to go. Freaking do some freaking hex bar deadlifts and go run some downhill forties and freaking go run some three hundred hurdles and injure myself. Man, I'm ready to rock, dude. You know what? You got me so yeah, hyped up. That's my job. That's see, that's my job. So then, pumped. Yeah, if you have to do that with your kids every day. And uh, it has to be authentic and they have to be excited. And, uh, I love it. I, I, what I do for a living, um, it's so great. And that's because I bring my passion with me. Yeah, man. Well, and, and you're definitely moving the needle for those kids and coaches and really sharing and spreading a lot of value. And today I know they're going to get a lot out of this conversation. And like I said, man, it's almost electric, you know, I've got goosebumps and, you know, uh, this is just as much a joy for me as probably the listeners. I get a lot out of this and get reinvigorated every time I get to listen to you talk or chat. So speaking of some of that to closing, how can some coaches find you, reach out, connect with you, oh. communicate with you? Um, yeah. Uh, Twitter is probably the best place. Uh, coach JT airs. Um, you can go to my website, coach airs.com Um, you know, I mean, sure you can find me somewhere, but you know, send me a DM. Um, it happens constantly because I'm also constantly doing it. Right. It takes a village and we all can. And I'll tell you this, I'm probably just going to affirm you. I'm probably just going to encourage you. I'm probably just going to say you're doing a great job. Keep doing it and believe in what you do. And when you're done doing it, learn from it. We're always a better coach the next year because if you're not, then you're done. And right. I am a better coach 
this year than I was last year in the previous year because I've learned from those experiences. So you rattled off, we ran this time, and actually I didn't, the kids did. The kids ran right. that time, the kids did this, and I got this and that. I'm a better coach today than I was yesterday. And if that's the case, then I, gosh, I hope I'm never like that one coach who said he's done it 30 years and this is the way we do it. I'm not that person. And you shouldn't be in the way we want to stay on mission is try to get better every day. And that's the only thing that we can do. And if you're not doing that, then you're off mission. So in closing, guys, thanks for everybody who's listened. Um, please share this out far and wide where you can, when you can. These messages, this information, uh, these, these opportunities, this value needs to be given to others. Don't be in that mindset that coach was talking at the beginning of our conversation, which is scarcity. Be in the growth mindset. Rising tide raises all ships. We can help everybody out in the sport of track and field. The beauty of it is everyone can get better together and we can all get value. So, Guys, be smart, be safe, make good decisions. We love you. Peace out. Bye.